You are listening to the Live Diet Free Podcast. I'm your host, Esther Avant, personal trainer, sports nutritionist, and weight loss coach. I'm here to help you lose weight for the last time without sacrificing your quality of life to do it. So pop your headphones in, go for a walk, and learn how to become the healthiest, happiest, and most confident version of yourself. Welcome back to the Live Diet Free Podcast. It's been a hot minute since I've recorded an episode, so I'm excited to be back in my living room talking into this microphone. And I have a guest who I'm really excited for you to meet today. Her name is Sage Olson. She's a clinical therapist and licensed social worker, as well as an empowerment coach for moms who want to reclaim their sense of identity and balance amidst the chaos of motherhood. And that includes learning to set boundaries, advocate for themselves, and say no to being a people pleaser. So I know a lot of that resonates with uh, with you listening. A couple of things I pulled from Sage's website that I know will help you see that Sage is uh, is the right guest for us. If you feel guilty or selfish whenever you try to prioritize your own needs, if you feel overwhelmed by the constant demands of motherhood and struggle to find time for yourself in the midst of it, and if you feel like you're stuck in a cycle of people-pleasing, always saying yes to everybody else and putting your own needs on the back burner. That's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Sage is also a podcast host. She hosts a podcast called It Doesn't Martyr to Me. Very clever. Love a good pun. And she (laughs) dives into the realities of millennial motherhood, such as everything that we're going to be talking about. I'm going to be a guest on Sage's podcast, so make sure that you give that a listen as well. But today, we're really going to focus on how to find your identity outside of motherhood. If you listened to episode 151 about how to get your spouse to do more around the house and a review of that book, Fair Play, one of the things I talked about in it is the concept of what that author called unicorn space or the stuff that you do just for you because it lights you up, it makes you feel good, you're contributing to kind of the the greater good of whatever, yourself, your community, the world. And is something outside of you as a mom, a spouse, an employee, a business owner, whatever. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Sage, thank you so much for being here and sharing your expertise with us. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about you outside of work, how you sort of transitioned from working in a more of a, a clinical setting to coaching and all that good stuff. Yeah, so... Yeah, I think you did a pretty good job at summing it up. As you were reading that stuff from my website, I was like, that sounds really, really good. Who wrote that? And I was like, that's from my website. Good job. So <laughs> I was, yeah, I was like, wow, that's really good. Oh, yeah, that's the homepage of my site. Cool. Um, so yeah, I, so like you said, I was, I still am a therapist. Um, I started out, in in the therapy world, it's kind of a struggle to tr- find your niche. So I started out and like for a while, I was working with kids with autism and then I transitioned and then I was working with teenagers, working through addictions and trauma. And then I transitioned to doing private practice, working with adults. And I started contracting with a company and I would just tell them, here's the things that I like to work with. And they would just, and they would they would just send me clients. And through that, I started to kind of find a common theme of my favorite clients to work with were women who struggled with boundaries and who were recovering people pleasers. Um, And it's actually my husband that pointed that out. Um, 
I, you know, I would be like, oh, I'm so excited. I did, we talked about this and this and this, and I helped this client today and I helped her with this. And he like kind of point out, he's like, so that's the time when you get the most excited is when you talk about helping, helping women set boundaries and, and this, and it's ridiculous that I had to have him point that out. Cause I was like, oh yeah, you're right. Like I should do that. And so that's, and I remember talking to my sister and telling her like, Hey, I think this is kind of what I think I want to niche down and focus specifically on women and moms just talking about this. Cause I, I really resonate with it. And she started laughing and I was like, what? And she's like, well, of course you resonate with that. That's you. Like, those are your people. And I was like, Oh yeah, you're right. And she's, she's like, she's like, you're, you're the biggest people pleaser ever. I'm like, I know I'm working on it. Shut up. So, <laughs> so that's kind of, that's kind of where, how I got to this point where I decided to niche down and it's so much more fun when I get to pick my clients and I get to, I get to work with those that I'm excited about and I really relate with. So that's kind of, that's kind of what led me here. It's so interesting. I don't know if you've heard the the term. I picked it up from another coach a long time ago about how you can't read the label from inside the jar. I feel like that's kind of the perfect example. Your your husband and your sister are kind of seeing what was obvious to them and you having a hard mm-hmm. time seeing it. That's exactly the power of coaching because when it's your own stuff, it's hard to have that perspective and that bird's eye view to be like, oh yeah, duh. But to yeah. have somebody who is outside the jar can really help you give clarity, get, help you get clarity. So yeah. I think that, uh, that's yeah. so interesting. I love, I love that. I've never heard it, but I love it. Yeah. Cause it's so true. And I get frustrated. I feel like I hold myself to this like higher standard of like, I'm clinically trained. Like I have two master's degrees and two different master's degrees in counseling and education. Like I should be able to just figure this out. But it's so not the same when it's still a struggle for me to like figure out my own issues when if it was a client talking to me, it would probably be so obvious. Yeah. But it's yeah. so I do. I have to give myself permission and give myself grace of like, I don't have to be my own therapist. and I don't have to diagnose myself. Yeah. So it's it's a balance I've struggled to find. Yeah, that really is, you know, a, again, a testament to the power of support, which is another piece of coaching, is just not having to do it alone. For almost nobody is it solely a knowledge deficit where you're just like, I have no idea what to do. More often than not, you know. And you know, you can pull out the mm-hmm. textbooks and you can say like, oh, this is what has worked with clients in a similar position. It's actually implementing in your life and having sort of that sounding board of somebody who oftentimes just sort of gives you the permission that you want in order to do or say or try something. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember when I was first personal training in a commercial gym, a lot of our master trainers had trainers. And my initial reaction was like, well, why would anybody work with you and and not just like go to your trainer? Um, And, you know, have since realized largely how important the personal connection is and that you know, you want mm-hmm. to feel comfortable with the person that you work with and, and all of that, but also that it's not a sign of weakness to have somebody who helps you. In fact, I think it's a sign of strength that you yeah. aren't this like know-it-all who's too good for for input or support, but more so you recognize it's going to be easier and faster and more pleasant if <laughs> if I'm not alone. Yeah. Oh, that when I, when I first started therapy, um, shoot, this was three or four years ago. 
um, the, the company I was working for, part of their benefits is they provided free therapy to the therapists that work there, which I loved. And they sent out an email saying, hey, this is a new program we're rolling out. You can, you know, you have free access to therapy because we want all of our therapists to have to have that and take care of themselves. And so I was like, yeah, like I'll try it. There's some stuff going on. And it was a struggle. It was very, very humbling. And I felt like the biggest hypocrite because I would preach to my clients all the time of like, it's okay to be vulnerable. There's no shame in this. Like you can talk to me. It's totally fine. And like, and then when I got on that call, I remember the first session where I was in the seat. I was the client and I wasn't the clinician. I completely clammed up, like my walls came up and I just kind of shut down. And the therapist was like, what, like, what, what's going on? Let's talk about this. I'm like, listen, I'm okay with you being vulnerable to me. That's fine. But I, this is, this is freaking out. And so it was, it was very humbling and it made me so much more empathetic to my clients that come and talk to me. And so there will be clients in our first couple of sessions, if I can tell they're nervous and I'll just call it out and I'll be like, listen, this is weird. It's fine. It's okay to be uncomfortable. Like when you think about it under any other context, uh, any other context, when would you like drop on a zoom call with some like random lady and start discussing like intimate details of your life? That's that goes against all of our instincts. It's really weird. And that's fine for you to be uncomfortable. And even just like calling that out, a lot of times they're like, they'll start laughing and like, okay, thank you. Like, this is very weird. I'm like, yeah, it's totally fine. So you just have to kind of embrace that discomfort sometimes and, and you'll work through it. I love that. That's great advice and a great introduction to the topic that we're going to talk about today because doing new things like making yourself a priority again, maybe for the first time since you've had kids or just the first time in a long time is likely to feel uncomfortable. And we generally try to avoid discomfort. So at the first sign of it, we're like, oh, yep, never mind. I knew this was a bad idea. I'm not going to bother. Just stay in my lane. So mm-hmm. getting comfortable with that discomfort and recognizing that there's some sort of constant discomfort of being in a place that you're not happy and fulfilled. And then there's the temporary discomfort of getting out of that comfort zone, breaking out of that rut and creating a better life for yourself. It's so worth doing. Yeah, so, for sure. Let's start with kind of the what feels like the beginning of regardless of how old your kids are. Maybe they're little babies and you're like really in the throes of it, but maybe they're in high school and you feel like your primary identity is being a mom. And then you probably have all of these like secondary and tertiary identities, none of which are you just as a human being. It's, and then Mm -hmm. I'm a wife and then I'm an employee or a business owner. And we tend to just kind of leave whatever is left at the end of the day for ourselves, which is more often than not nothing. So can you talk a little bit about why that's such an easy position to find ourselves in? Yeah, that that position of of being all consumed by that identity of motherhood. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, and just like not even really knowing who you are outside of that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, first off, when you think about it, women, once like the day you get that that positive pregnancy test, 
you're at least, at least for those first couple of years, your body is not your own in a very literal sense. Like the whole time you're pregnant, you were very aware that there was like, there's another, there's another little being in there, like the, yeah, driving things, which is crazy to think about. Um, and then afterwards, you know, whether, whether you choose to breastfeed or, um, bottle feed or formula or whatever, either way, every two to three hours, you're responsible for feeding this child. Like they are so heavily dependent on you. And there is, there's this bond that moms have with their children and, and it's there for a reason. Um, and it's a good thing, but it can, it can get to a point where it's all consuming and you have a hard time picturing your life outside of, outside of that. You know, I remember, I remember when I was in the newborn stage um, and I was breastfeeding and I, my life happened in increments of two to three hours. I remember thinking like, okay, I can go out and run errands, but like, I need to be home by one o'clock so I can pump. <laughs> like, Or I'm bringing my breast pump with me and I'm like legit in the freaking Home Depot parking lot with a nursing cover and the hot car pumping and this like old man and like making eye contact with me. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, just like, oh, it's, I, I don't. I don't miss that part. I'm, I'm going to be super honest. <laughs> I don't miss that part of the newborn phase. Um, so it can, like, as a necessity for those, for those first couple of years, your life does need to revolve around your child to make sure that they're getting fed, that they're safe, that they're sleeping. Like, not even to talk about, like, the whole sleep training thing and waking up in the night. Like, you, your, how you sleep, eat everything revolves around that. And so it's, so it's kind of hard once, you know, once you get into the toddler stage and they become less and less dependent on you and, you know, you can get to a point where you can start hiring babysitters or it, it kind of comes, I feel like it's this weird transition of like, Oh, okay. Now, how do I, how do I find myself outside of this? Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. And as you were talking, I was thinking about how I feel like part of what makes it so hard is that, like you said, there is sort of this necessity in the beginning to let go of, you know, what, what you want and focus on the baby and this like major mm-hmm. changes happen in your life. And one part of the transition is learning how to let go of you know, kind of the the time frames of, okay, you know, I want to be back at X weight by this time, or I want to be back in the things that I love and sort of like giving yourself the gift of time to navigate this transition and learn the ropes and, and all of that stuff. And also it's very easy for that to go on indefinitely because like you said, the early stages are such a blur. So if you mm-hmm. if you're practicing, let me just try to be present in this moment and you know sleep when I can and enjoy my time with my newborn as I can. It's very easy to then sort of wake up one day and realize like, oh, those days are long gone, and I never really got back to shifting my priorities once I was able. Um, and I think so. I think kind of towing that line. We have a a term we use in coaching. One of the skills that we work on helping clients develop is called compassionate ownership, which is sort of the mm-hmm. the compassion piece is would come in in that sort of early postpartum where you're like, all right, listen, this is about more than me. 
I need to give myself grace and time and love and kindness and all those things. And then the ownership piece comes in with kind of the recognition of like, okay, and at some point, it's no longer going to be a necessity that I'm focused entirely on my kid or my kids all the time. And now I need to take ownership of what does it look like to get back to feeling like myself again. Um, and, and that's that learning kind of the, the give and take of that when you need to lean more on the compassion, when you need to lean more on the ownership, I think is a, a, a difficult thing. So, um, and you also touched on something that I think is really important that there's like, all of these transitions happening. So first it's like, we're just trying to survive, mm-hmm. you know, the first few months. And then it's now, you know, we're crawling, we're walking, we're in daycare, we're in school. And it's like, it, it can very easily feel like, well, once we just get over this next thing, then it's going to calm down, then it's going to feel easier. And as I'm sure the the parents of older kids can attest to, it just always feels like there's something you get to the side of one and then you realize there's another <laughs> yeah after that yep. and to be in the mentality of like let me just wait until blank um is how you end up decades down the line feeling like you mm-hmm. haven't had an identity outside of motherhood in years and maybe you have that like very yeah um very big moment of like, I'm an empty nester now. Like I don't have my kids to pour all my energy into like, now what? Um, so whether you're in that stage or whether you're much earlier on in this, you still have the opportunity to reclaim more of of you and, and more of your life for yourself. So yeah, what, how, one of the things that I think comes up when I have this conversation with clients and is very hard to work through, I think, is not even knowing, like, what do I enjoy doing? It's been so long since I've, like, had a hobby or had friends outside of my family mm-hmm. or things like that, that just asking somebody, like, oh, what do you enjoy doing? Like, I have no idea. So for somebody who's just feeling, like, really lost, of like, sure, yeah, this all sounds great, but, like, what do I even do? I don't have, like, an old sport to go back to. I don't have, you know, I don't like to draw. I can't, there's not, like, an easy thing for me to just start doing again. Mm-hmm. I got nothing. Like, how do we start to find those things, either for the first time period or for the first time in a long time? Yeah. Well, first off, I do. I love what I love what you said earlier about getting in the habit of oh, when this is over, life will get better. Um, I remember I was talking to to an old friend years ago, and I made some comment of like, well, I was in graduate school, and I made some comment of like, oh, when I can just graduate, things will like things will get better. And she laughed, and she she's like, oh, sweetie, life doesn't get easier; it just changes colors. Ooh. And I, that has stuck with me. And that is something that I'll tell my clients all the time. And that is something that has stuck with me whenever I get caught in that. Because I I remember very specifically the newborn phase. Um, Breastfeeding for me was was incredibly difficult. I was not prepared for the physical and emotional toll of it. Um, I lasted for like seven months and then we switched to formula. Um, And I remember in that time... I again I remember I was in a gas station parking lot pumping and I remember being just like oh my gosh Kate when I can just get past this when we can just get past this things will slow down and then I heard the voice and I heard her voice 
this in my mind again, life doesn't, life doesn't get easier. It just changes colors. And it was a good reminder for me to be like, okay, there's some hard part about this, but also there's things about the newborn stage that I love and I miss. I miss when she was sleeping like 14 hours a day. That was amazing. I miss, you know, and so, so that's always a good reminder to me to just, okay, let's focus on what are the good things about this stage that, that I can enjoy now. If you're enjoying this episode, I want to invite you to join us in our coaching program, Gone for Good. Gone for Good is our signature 12-week coaching program designed to help you develop the confidence, commitment, and consistency necessary to make reaching your weight loss and health goals inevitable. Our three-part framework helps you learn and master the exercise nutrition big rocks, provides comprehensive support and accountability, and teaches you how to take compassionate ownership of your results. With both group and one-on-one options, we have a Gone for Good package to suit your needs and help you overcome every obstacle between you and the weight loss you're after. Whether you want to lose 5 pounds, 50 pounds, or 150 pounds, we can help you in Gone for Good. For all the info and to join, go to estheravant.com slash coaching. That's a great so point. That's, it is, it's so easy to... There was, there was that movie, I can't remember what it was called, an Adam Sandler movie where he like fast forwards through his whole life. Um, oh, was it Click? Click, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so easy to focus on like what sucks about right now and what's going to be better about the future and learning how to take the good with the bad and and acknowledge that like multiple things can be happening simultaneously, some that I enjoy, some that I don't. And I can choose to focus more on the positive and train myself to seek that out rather than wishing that everything will just speed up because you do learn that no matter what stage you're in, there's the good and the bad. And Mm -hmm. there's not going to be a time that everything in your life aligns so that you get to just worry about yourself. It's always going to be competing demands on your time. Um, Yeah. Okay. So how how do we start to i don't know if it's like test out or experiment with like wh- how, what mm-hmm. is our unicorn space mm-hmm. what is the stuff that we do just for ourselves and i don't mean and this is not for you sage i know i know you know what i mean but for the listeners we don't mean like self care in terms of like taking bubble baths or getting your nails done or mm-hmm. that like very sort of surface level kind of social media self care but more mm-hmm. so like doing the things that will just light you up as a human and help you feel like yourself, like Esther, like Sage, like a human being before you had kids, before you were somebody's wife. Um, and that's kind of what we're talking about. So what does it look like to start finding that? Yeah, so this this is such a struggle. I um, All of my clients that that are moms they always talk about this and we always we always end up laughing about the same thing that we're like all of our partners are and in my case my husband he seems to like collect hobbies he always has a hobby like how the heck is he doing that like he like last like a few weeks ago he just was like hey i think i want to try golfing and then he just like is like already really pretty good at it and now he's he's golfing golfing. and i'm like why why is that so hard for me like how do you and I've tried to vent to him about this and he he's like I don't know just like find something I'm like I, 
what? And so it's, so it's been a, it's been a struggle of trying to be like, okay, why this should, this should not be this hard. Um, and for me, I went and I looking at, looking at past experiences and I look at, cause for me, I had to recognize that the reason why it's so hard for me to find hobbies is so much of my life has either been focused on school, my career, and now being a mom. Like I've always been so busy and my priority has been one of those things that hobbies were just like, eh, okay. And I, I never really felt a need for them because I was already busy doing these other things. And so I, so I went and I looked back at, okay, my, the looking at my education, what were my favorite classes and why did I enjoy those classes? What were at my work who not only what did I enjoy about the work, but like, who were my favorite coworkers? Why did I like those people who were, and trying to really dive deep and like pick out those little things of, okay, why, why did this particular thing resonate with me? How can I, how can I get that back or how can I expand on that? So for instance, one of the things that I that I realized that I missed about my about my old one of my old jobs is every Thursday, um, all the therapists we would all go to lunch together, and we had a rule. And I remember thinking, I'd be like, oh, okay, so I'll just go to lunch with friends. But I remember the reason why I loved those lunches is because my boss had a rule that when we go to lunch, as soon as we drive off off the property, we don't talk about work, we don't talk about our clients, we don't talk about anything literally anything but that. And so I got to know my coworkers as pe- like people outside of who they were as therapists. So I got to know their families and be like, hey, how's your wife doing? Hey, how's your kid doing? I know you were like struggling with potty training. How's that going? And we really, that helped us to kind of find find our identity outside of, oh, I'm a therapist because that's something that can be, that's a whole other topic of self-care and boundaries, workplace boundaries. Um, so I've tried to, I've tried to implement that in, in my relationships. So looking at my friends, how, like, I had to reevaluate re- some of my friendships and be like, okay, when I'm talking to them, do I talk about anything other than like being a mom? Do like, in like my husband, I had to stop and think about like, when was like, we need to talk about something that's not just finances, bills and kids. Like when was the last time we just like, didn't talk about those things. And so, and so focusing on the, the time that you do have focusing on the quality of it and making sure that when you're talking to friends and those, and those relationships making that effort of, okay, I'm going to go to lunch with this friend or I'm going to, you know, with your partner or whatever, I'm going to make an effort to talk about something other than this. (laughs) I'm not going to talk about being a mom right now. I'm not going to talk about my kids. And it's awkward and it's hard at first. And it also feels very selfish. It does. Like the first time I did it, I was like, oh my gosh, like, and then I was like, well, what else do I talk about? And lo and behold, I found what else I like to talk about. And that's how I started to figure out like my hobbies and things that I like. 
I'm like, oh, okay. And it was like kind of pulled out in conversations I had with people when I started to make that effort of, yeah, not not talking about it all the time. <laughs> that, <laughs> that makes is, sense. So I feel like many, I'm rambling. No, there's so many good nuggets in there. I really think that's that's awesome. One thing that you mentioned at the very beginning was such a light bulb for me when you said like, your husband just kind of decided, I'd like to try golf. And then he tried golf. It's the perfect example of how much we have a tendency to overcomplicate things. When somebody says like, what do you enjoy doing? We like immediately have this identity crisis of like, oh my gosh, I don't even know. And, and it like becomes this like whole thing. It doesn't need to be that serious. It can actually be mm-hmm. as, as quick as, well, I was watching this show the other day and you just use continues in golf and they were golfing and like, I wonder if I'd be any good at that. So you give it a try. Like it, it does, it doesn't need to be that serious. All you're doing is mm-hmm. experimenting and you have nothing to lose. Worst case, you spend a couple hours, you spend a couple bucks and you decide, all right, that's not for me, but now you know. Um, so yeah, I think a big yeah. takeaway from this is like just the willingness to take action and not create a mountain out of a molehill. If you think that you might enjoy cooking and not having it be this like like a meal prep thing or like the chaos of like the kids are in there too. If you if you think like making a leisurely meal would be something you would enjoy doing or learning how to, you know, prepare things or, you know, whatever, a certain style of cooking, you don't need to immediately enroll in like Le Cordon Bleu Institute and become a chef. How about you just print a recipe mm-hmm. and you say everybody out of the kitchen on Friday night I want two hours to be in here, but like, let it be easy. I think that's such a good takeaway. And I hope that you guys listening, when we wrap this up, you just start thinking in terms of like, where's one place that I can start? What's one thing that interests me even a little bit that I want to explore? And maybe that'll be your thing. Great. Maybe it'll lead you to a person or a conversation or another idea that you try. But a lot of this is just mm-hmm. putting yourself in the positions to to do those things. And your thoughts about what you talk about with people. And I, I love the the reflection on like, who do I enjoy spending my time with and why? And what what do I enjoy spending my time doing and why is so insightful. And I can think of, you know, relationships that I've had or had, I have or have had that do just kind of revolve all around the kids. And they're generally not mm-hmm. the most fulfilling relationships. The the friendships that are the most meaningful to me are the ones where we can talk about anything and we have different interests. And I can learn about like, oh, you read this, you know, this historical book that I have zero interest in, but I think it's cool that you do. And I think being around other people who do have hobbies and have interests helps just kind of normalize that not everybody is all kids, all family, all the time, all work. Other people do yes, have different yeah. interests because like if you're only around like the mom friends who only talk about their kids or only talk about their job, it seems like that's just what everybody does. And that's why it feels weird to be looking for something outside of that. But if you expose yourself to people who are more fulfilled in different ways, then you kind of feel like the weird one for not. And that can sort of nudge you towards doing some new stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, that reminds me, I did an interview on my my podcast. I interviewed, um, her name is Maggie Dickens and I got this from her, so I need to give her credit. So we did a whole podcast interview talking about moms making friends with with women who are child-free and like this weird, sometimes this weird divide we feel because we feel like we can't relate to them or we're a burden or whatever. And we did. We so much of our conversation 
even when you're just meeting for the, for the first time, like your first your first question, at least for me, is usually like, oh, what do you do? Or what, like, oh, I'm, you know, people ask me, oh, I'm a therapist. They're like, oh, what do you do? Like, my first thought is to tell people I'm a therapist and I'm a mom. And we talk about, so she says, she suggests starting the conversation off and saying instead, what's something that fires you up? And that is such a fun question to ask people because one, they, they take that as something that like irritates them and annoys them and they get all like excited and start oh, venting okay, about yep. something or they talk about something that they're passionate about. And then it's like a fun, it's a really fun conversation. Um, one, um, one of my friends in particular, we were talking and um, I asked him this. It was actually one of my husband's coworkers. I asked him this and he started going off about the, the latest Mandalorian episode on Disney plus and how it came out and he was frustrated about how it ended and the cliffhanger and me and my husband are both big star Wars people. And so we started getting into it and it was such a fun conversation about like star Wars and plot holes and how we felt about it. And it was, and I absolutely love that question because I feel like my relationships and conversations with people go so much more deeper than just what do you do? Tell me about your kids. You know what I mean? And it's not like those are bad things. You're going to find those out about people as you start talking. But I love the idea of like the basis of conversations. Start doing, ask them that. What's something that fires you up? And I've also found for me, I've started to learn like what fires me up. What's something that I enjoy as I start. And I'm like kind of finding myself again in these conversations. That is awesome. Okay, talk about getting uncomfortable because I can, I already like have a little bit of anxiety at the thought of asking someone that, which is a sign that like, good, <laughs> good, do it anyway. Um, and, yeah. and it's okay to like ask a weird question. It's okay if you say it to somebody and they are taken aback. The point is to mm-hmm. get beneath the surface and to, for lack of a better way of describing it, to be part of the solution that you want. If you don't want everything to be the surface level motherhood, wife stuff, job stuff, why not take the lead? You can assume. I know that, you know, if Sage and I are in this position and Sage's clients and my clients and people listening to this, you are not alone in feeling like you want to go deeper with people. And especially if you are looking for friendships as an adult. And I know... I meet the majority of, the majority of my social interactions right now are with people I meet at the playground. And that's fine. They are people who are at a similar (laughs) stage of their lives. Moms, moms at play group. (laughs) Right, exactly. And also, they don't need to just be so-and-so's mom. And I can take responsibility Mm. for some of that and say, all right, we already know we have kids of a similar age. So like, check, we covered that. Let's get deeper. Let's see if we have anything in common beyond that. And if we do, amazing. If we don't, okay, we still had a conversation. And just like you were saying earlier, you never know where those conversations are going to lead you. Maybe you're not a Star Wars enthusiast, but now your interest is peaked and you decide, all right, the next thing I'm going to do is a little bit of Star Wars research. Like Just facilitating this type of stuff. Somebody has to take the initiative. So why not you? Why not take that first step towards creating what you want in your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting that you said that you're like, that's uncomfortable. Like that feels weird to ask that question because I, I honestly never thought of it like that, 
But you're right. It is a very like kind of off the wall question. Yeah. And I'm thinking of whenever I've asked someone that, they always kind of are like kind of taken aback because they've never been asked that, especially if there's someone like someone that they just met or don't know very well. They're like, what? But then they start to like open up and the conversation flows. And I feel like by the end of it, we're like best friends. Yeah. So that's it exactly is. how I see it's myself like receiving it. Like if somebody you're asked totally me, like, right. hey, what, what? And I'd be like, actually cool. Like, okay, I'll play. Um, so yeah. So yeah, there's a, there's a really good actionable step for you. The next time you are in a conversation with someone, bust that one out. Do the hard thing, do the like five, four, three, two, one, spit it out and see what happens. It's not going to, it's <laughs> nothing, nothing bad's going to happen. Um, worst case, somebody thinks you're a little bit weird. Good. You can weed out people that you don't want, uh, you don't want in your life. Um, all right, you don't I'm need keep- that kind of negativity in your life. Exactly. Keeping an eye on the time, I want to cover something that I feel like is another obstacle for moms who want to create time for themselves and, and, hobbies for themselves. And that is the the pushback, either real or anticipated and kind of perceived that mm. we expect when we start to say, I'm going to go golf on Saturday. Here's the kids or things like that. How do we navigate the conversations, the boundary setting, the discomfort of making our solo time or our non-family time more of a pillar in our lives. Yeah, and this this is such a this is such a tricky question. Um and it's always I feel like this question is one that's always a little bit more complicated because you don't know any like people's dynamics. Um and so trying to trying to figure out how to navigate that. Um, first off, I think um honestly, I think this is just we as women. Um and but moms especially, we get into the habit, whether we mean to or not, of waiting for someone else to give us permission or waiting for someone else to tell us it's okay to do something. And so first I would like you're allowed to give yourself permission to do something. You're allowed to give yourself permission to stop to not do something. And I I will literally say out loud, you know what? I'm giving myself permission to to have a messy house today. I I literally said that yesterday. Yesterday was kind of a dumpster fire of a day. And it was seven o'clock at night and I was like, you know what? I'm giving myself permission to just have a dirty house tonight. And so I'll say that out loud. I'll give myself permission. And my husband just kind of laughs because he's used to it. But whenever I say that around other people, they're like, okay, you do that. Like, I'm like, no, but this is, this is an exercise for me. I have to say this out loud. So one, giving yourself permission. Don't wait for other people to give you permission or for be like, oh, it's okay for you to do this. You can, you can give yourself that permission. Um, and two, I think prioritizing prioritizing that time and giving that that time as much priority as you would like an important doctor's appointment for your kid. Or, you know, I always compare that, especially with moms, because if it's like a pediatrician appointment for your kid, you would never think to reschedule that. Like you're going to go. That's a priority. You know, or like 
you know, taking your kid to school or some of those things that you consider an appointment. But for some reason, when we talk about time for ourselves or hobbies, it's like, oh, I can move it around. So like, I'm going to try to do this. But like, if something comes up and like, I need to, I can, it's fine. It doesn't matter to me. It's totally fine. <laughs> so, so giving yourself permission and treating, treating that time like it's a non-negotiable appointment because it is, it's a very important, very important appointment. And yeah, that's, those, those are the first couple of things that come to mind. What, what are your thoughts? That's great advice. It's actually really interesting. If you guys have uh, not yet listened to episode 161 with Danielle Van, one of the things we touched on that episode as well is self-permission and just how much conditioning we receive to feel like we need permission from someone else that we don't feel comfortable saying, kind of putting, drawing the line in the sand or putting the, the stake in the ground or whatever and saying, this is important to me. I want to do it. Let's work together and figure this out. We want like our boss or our husband to give us permission to do something. And at the end of the day, mm -hmm. you need to be the person who is giving yourself permission, who's advocating for yourself, who's making sure that your life is what you want it to be, even when that feels hard and uncomfortable. So I love the first step of giving yourself that permission and also making it a non-negotiable. We talk about that in our coaching all the time, that things like your workouts, your bedtime, the time that you're going to grocery shop, whatever, like whatever you need to do in order to be consistent with the things that are important to you, put it on the calendar, treat it, like you said, like, in, like a meeting with somebody else, like a doctor's appointment. We are the only people in our lives that we're in the habit of letting down or rescheduling all the time or just not showing up for. And mm, yeah. We're the only people who can change that and deciding this is what I'm going to do. And I'm somebody who does what she says she's going to do. Therefore, it's as good as done is, is going to serve you so well. And I think mm -hmm. too, just kind of generally, you're, you're right. People's relationship dynamics are so dynamic that it's really hard to give good kind of general blanket advice to all people. But I would say yeah. communication is kind of always... At the, at the forefront, more often than not, when we feel like we're not on the same page, it's just a lack or a miscommunication. And something that the author of that mm -hmm. book talked about is how a lot of relationship issues can be caused by one person not having anything outside of the family that brings them joy. That, you know, when you, when you meet your future spouse, you have this whole your entire life is separate from them. You, They don't know the ins and outs of your job, your friends, your hobbies, things like that. And then you sort of like become enmeshed and you become one. And it's like, unless you're making a concerted effort to like be interesting and have interesting things to say, that can be part of where relationship friction comes from. It's like you resent your husband going out to golf. So instead of saying, cool, he has a hobby, I want a hobby, you use it against him. And then you're sitting around being mm -hmm. resentful. So then you don't have anything to say. Um, so I feel like so yeah. much, you know, it's I've not never just, done that. <laughs> right, yeah, certainly, yeah, that is not hit at all close to home. Um, Couldn't but, be me. Could not be me. <laughs> but there are just so many different things that improve by you choosing to make yourself a priority. Your kids seeing that you have a life outside of them and learning about the things that you're interested in. All of that can be improved. And, and it starts with, like you said, self-permission, making non-negotiable and communicating your wants, your needs, and remembering that you know, the, 
the people that love and care about you want you to be happy. You're on the same team here. And mm-hmm. I know it can often feel like you're sort of in this push-pull of, well, I can't go because he won't watch the kids or things like that. Remembering we are a unit and we're often coming at things from different perspectives. But if we can remind ourselves of our common values, our common goals, and if we can communicate clearly, it'll be that much easier to get both people on board with what it looks like to be fulfilled inside and outside of the family. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yep. I, as you were talking, I was like, oh my gosh, I've totally done that. And I, and I have to catch myself that I, so my, my husband's um, pretty big into hunting and he had a hunting trip. He asked me like four months ago, Hey, I'm going to be gone for three or four days. He did everything right. He even put forth the effort to call a babysitter and like did all the work. But when it came down to it, like the day he left, I was still just like, "Ah, I have to be here for four days. And then I had to stop myself. I'm like, no, no, no. He did everything right. He gave me, he gave me heads up. I like, this is fine. This is not fair for me to be mad about this. So I like, if I'm frustrated about this, I can find stuff that I want to do. And so having to have that conversation, it's, it is such a hard balance. It it really is. is that, that dynamic and that whole thing was something that I feel like I was not prepared when we had kids is trying to navigate that. Yeah, just kind of like the the ingrained like martyrdom. I think the your your podcast has the perfect name because part of it is it's not even that we like entertain the possibility of like oh cool he took a trip that you know with his friends or doing something he enjoys like I want to do the same. We don't even like allow ourselves that thought. We just think like well of course he can because he's the dad, but like I'm the mom, so I can never do anything for myself. It's like <laughs> pump the brakes for a second. <laughs> yeah, so much of this is self imposed. Yeah. Like you're you're choosing and. Again, very much speaking to myself here. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're choosing to make it so. But it is possible. And other women are doing it. And you can be one of them. You just have to decide. Yeah. Sage, this has been so good. I hope you guys listening have really enjoyed it. And that you're inspired to find things that help you feel like a complete human being. I know our listeners are going to want to learn more about you, what you do, listen to your podcast, tell us all the things. I'll put all the links in the show notes, but where where are you in the in the world? Where so as far like the, as in, like the, in my the, webs- internet, my, the internet, yeah. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> do you want like my geographic? Yeah, I want your exact uh, <laughs> address for all of our listeners, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's on me. I totally knew what you meant. I'm just being a smart aleck. Um yeah, so sageolsoncoaching.com. That's kind of the hub. Um, I'm also, I mean, I've also got an Instagram by the same handle, um, Sage Olson Coaching and Facebook as well. Um, biggest thing we have, I have a private Facebook group of moms. Um, I keep it private because I like to, um, I like to filter people that come in because I don't want it to, I really, really don't want it to be another like mom shaming toxic Facebook group that we all know. (laughs) So, um, so you have to, you have to ask for an invite. Um, but you can get that on my website on the homepage at the top. It says join the community and we'll send you the invite to the Facebook group and you can join, join the community. That's, that's the biggest thing. Awesome. And lastly, your podcast. I'm assuming it's on all the podcast places, Apple, I mean, iTunes, Spotify. Yep. 
Yep. It, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me. It's on, yeah, Apple, Spotify. Um, I think like Amazon. There's like nine or ten that there that it's on. It should yeah, be pretty much everywhere. Ones. So if you if you Google it, you'll find it. Um, and from one podcast uh, host to another, it is it really means a lot to us when you leave a rating or review. Um, it helps just to kind of know that people are listening and they're benefiting from what we're putting out there. Uh, it feels good personally, and also it helps other women who would benefit from that sort of content find it. So if you listen to this episode, if you listen to any of uh, It Doesn't Martyr to Me, please consider leaving a rating or a review. Sage, thank you so much for your time. Thank you guys for tuning in and I'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Live Diet Free Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've listened to them all, I appreciate you being here. One way you can help this podcast succeed is to subscribe, rate, and review it. If you don't mind doing those things, I would love to thank you with a copy of our weekend survival guide designed to help you have weekends you enjoy that don't set you back from reaching your goals. Just send a screenshot of your review to admin at estheravant.com and we'll send it over. And don't forget to check out estheravant.com slash coaching for all the info about our Gone for Good coaching program designed to help you develop the confidence, commitment, and consistency necessary to make reaching your health and weight loss goals inevitable. Our three-part framework helps you learn and master the exercise and nutrition big rocks, provides comprehensive support and accountability, and teaches you how to take compassionate ownership of your results. With both group and one-on-one options, we have a gone-for-good package to suit your needs and help you overcome every obstacle between you and the weight loss you're after.